All right, 1 Samuel 1, 17. One, first of chapter, yeah, 1 Samuel, the first chapter. We're going to read down to verse 11. All right, follow along with me closely. Now, there was a certain man of Ramatha Imzophan of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, and the son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. Man, how'd they get along back then? Can you imagine looking into their phone book? And he had two wives. God help him. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts of Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, when the time was come that he went to church, he gave to Penina his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters he gave portions. But unto, <coughs> but unto Hannah... He gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also, this is Penina, provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so Penina provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat." Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. I want to talk to you this morning about Mother's Day. About the inestimable worth, character, and desperate need of godly mothers in this country. A mother's love, there's nothing like it. A mother's love sets the standard of love for the human race. You don't get much higher than a mother's love on earth. Nobody loves like a mother loves. Motherhood is the oldest occupation in the world, and there wouldn't even be a world without mothers. You heard the expression... He has a face that only a mother can love. You've heard that expression. 
There's a lot of handicapped children that come into the world. And only a mother can love them like a mother should. Mothers love their children. And I want you children to listen. A mother loves their children no matter what. No matter what you're like. No matter when you're at your worst. No matter when you're acting stupid. A mother's love loves you no matter what. And you need to appreciate that. And you need to respect that. And you need to reverence that. It is an awful thing when children curse back at their mothers. It's a more awful thing when mothers in Walmart are strolling their little children and their children are swearing back at them. And the mothers are swearing back at their children. That's why there is a great need for godly mothers in this country. And the reason that we're in the shape that we're in is because our godly mothers got distracted and many of them have forgotten God. So I want to challenge you mothers and I want to honor you. So you heard the expression, he has a face only a mother can love. Why is that? How is it that mothers can love the unlovely? How is it that mothers can love children who the rest of the world looks upon and says, oh my Lord, what a burden, what a, what a handicap, what a load. How can a mother do that? Because there's a divine power in a mother's love. God put it there. Because God had to have the same love for you and I. While we were yet sinners. While we were at our worst. While we were at our ugliest. When we are deformed. Disfigured. God loved us. Listen to Romans 5.8 said. While we were yet sinners, God loved us. And God died for us. God died for us when we were at our worst. And he put that instinct into mothers so that they can love over the top of the disrespect, over the top of the rudeness, all the time, over the top of how their children talk back to them. If you talk back to your mother, you call your mother a name, you're not a man. You're not even acting human. Listen to me. While we were yet sinners at our worst. And while children come into the world and they're at their worst. 
God gave that mother a love just like he loved us while we were sinners. Now listen to what else it said. Much more. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more. Much more is coming. What is it? Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be acquitted, made righteous, made morally righteous. We shall be saved from the indignation of God and the fury of God and the wrath of God. You see what God saved us from? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, gave the ultimate sacrifice, became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But much more. We avoided the fury of God, the wrath of God, the anger of God. And we bypassed an eternal punishment Because God so loved us. And your mothers so love you. And don't you dare ever act disrespectful toward your mother. Not ever. Not now. Never. Because you don't know what you're doing. And yet a mother loves you over the top of all your foolishness. You know why you got to treat your mother with respect? Because at the age of four, we think our moms can do anything. By 12, we're thinking mom don't know anything. By 18, we're saying mom is behind the time. She's out of touch. She can't keep up with the generations, the fads, and all the trends. By 25, we're saying mom knows a few things. At 35, we're thinking, let's get mom's opinion. By 45, we're saying, what would mom say about this? And at 65, we're saying, I wish I could talk to my mom just one more time. A lot of older children throughout the world are feeling heavy hearts today because their mothers are no longer in this world. One mom, people don't understand the stress and the strain, and I see it on the faces of the mothers in this congregation. They don't understand the strain and the stress that mothers are under today. One mom pushing her little girl through Walmart and her daughter was screaming the whole time. You ever been in Walmart and you're trying to, you know, you're, you're in the moment, you're listening to the nice mood music, and then there's, rah, rah, and, you, and you feel like you're in a jungle. Amen? And her mother said, now calm down, Ellen. It will be all right, Ellen. It's almost time to go home, Ellen. And one of the Walmart store clerks said to the mother, Ma'am, you ought to be commended on how patient you are with little Ellen. And the mom stopped the car. She stopped the car. She looked back and she looked at that clerk and she said, I'm Ellen. 
You kabish. Mothers are under a strain. So children, don't disrespect your mothers. You are to honor your father and your mother. You don't have to put your approval upon things that are wrong, but you still have to honor them. And keep your mouth shut. Ferme la bouche. Mom was, what was mom doing? She know what she was doing. She was trying to keep herself from having a nervous breakdown right in Walmart. She was trying to keep herself calm and just was trying to get herself to hold on for 15, 10, 15 more minutes so she could get out of the store and into the sanctuary of her car. Because she was embarrassed. Mothers, mothers get exasperated today. They almost blow a fuse every day. How many mothers can say amen to that? You see the condition we're in? Mothers are so beat down so overloaded, so depressed, they can't even raise a hand or say amen. Shall I ask the question again? Can I get an amen? Oh, this is a bad, you're in bad shape. Our text is giving us some remarkable quality traits of womanhood and motherhood. We've heard it said from women in this congregation. Church, they've broke loose. When God wants to get something done, he gets a hold of a man. But when he wants to get a whole lot done, he gets a hold of a woman. That's a precedent that even the Bible supports. You didn't know that, did you? The Bible supports that kind of thinking. Stop and listen. This is just a few. Israel's deliverance from 400 years of Egyptian bondage began with a woman named Jochebed. The mother of Moses, who had the faith to put baby Moses in a basket and float him down an infested river to escape the murderous rage of Pharaoh, who wanted to kill all the male babies as soon as they were born because he's afraid that they would outnumber the Egyptians. Two and a half million of God's people were miraculously delivered, and it all began with a woman. The storyline of King David began with a woman named Ruth. 
The miraculous preservation of the Jews in Persia was the story of a woman named Esther who put her own life on the line to save her nation, the Jews, from extinction. And what about our salvation in the Gospels? It began with a young Jewish woman, a virgin called Mary, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost because she was highly favored by God to give birth to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and the only Savior in the world. And a woman started that. Think about it. You see, men, if we don't step up, God will get a woman. You see... There's a lot of people today in high places who don't understand the difference between a man and a woman. There's spiritual wickedness in high places. And not only in the high places, but the low places and all the other places in between. And the reason that that wickedness and that mentality and that ignorance is there, because we've turned our back on God. We don't have time to worship God. We don't have time for the things of God. And the more we forget about God, the more the devil gets in. Into your family, your children, and in our churches. Most people don't understand. Most people don't understand that in San Francisco and New York and all the other big cities in this country. They don't understand that there's a difference. And that difference was made by God for our enjoyment, for our happiness, having a helpmeet, having a friend, having a companion, not having to be lonely. But the day's coming when they will, and it might be too late. And that world out here, and all those genders, and all that trans, and everything that's going out there, they need a lot of prayer, church, because it's a quite serious sin that one day if it's not repented the fury of God is going to move in at an unguarded moment and it'll be too late men and women are different a woman will tell you what she's thinking She'll never tell you what she's thinking. She only tells you what she's feeling. Men, remember that. That'll get you out of a lot of trouble. 
A woman will never tell you what she's thinking. She only tells you what she's feeling. And a man doesn't tell you what he's feeling. He only tells you what he's thinking. See, he spits it all out. That's why they're always arguing with one another. Now listen. When a woman says to you, get out and don't come back. Don't leave. Don't you dare leave. Don't pack your bags and leave. Why? Because she'll kill you. That's right. She'll tell you to leave. And if you try to leave, she'll kill you. When a man says, woman, you're stupid. He doesn't really mean that. And he really doesn't, because he's not that stupid. That's only what he calculated and analyzed in the present moment, because you seem to be acting a little stupid. He doesn't mean you are a stupid person. He's analytically assessing your present state. Why? Because a woman is emotional and a man is trying to be logical. So a man calculates and women emote. So if you can just start to understand one another, it might be a lot less divorces. It's tough. It's tough to be a woman today even as it was for Hannah in her day. It's even more difficult to be a male because a lot of males want to be females and a lot of females now want to be males. And you know what I say about that? From an Italian heritage? What's the matter, you? You doozy pots. You know what that means? What's the matter, you? You doozy pots. That means you're crazy. Why is it difficult to be a woman of motherhood today? Because mothers are living in a world that's been designed for men. That was 50, 60 years ago. It's changing again and it's changing again. Goes back over 55 years ago. For me personally, when I was in Fort Bliss, Texas, I ran into James Brown, the famous singer, in a jewelry store and he was buying all kinds of bracelets and rings and jewelry and loading and getting them, putting them in his pocket. Because when he sings, he throws them out to the audiences. How many remember James Brown? Okay. And he gave us, me and a couple GIs I, were, I was with, 
He gave us free tickets to his concert that weekend, brought us into the back of the concert, put us up there near the front row. James wrote a song. How many know what the name of it was? This is a man's world. Ladies, you're listening? This is a man's world. And the song captured the attitude that most men had toward women. Listen to the lyrics. This is a man's world. This is a man's world. But it wouldn't be nothing without a woman. You see, man made the cars. Man made the the trains to carry the heavy loads. Man made electric light to take us out of the dark. Man made the boat for water, and also Noah come along and made the ark. This is a man's world, but it wouldn't be nothing, nothing without a woman. And a common statement that emerged from the masculinity years ago, what do you think that expression was? The expression was derogatory. It was directed towards women. Know your place. Woman, know your place. Now, I'm just telling you history. Don't look at me like I'm the one doing all these things. Know your place. And how many know what they said was a woman's place? Speak up. The kitchen. But there's another room that they said was a woman's place, and we won't mention that in a public service. A lot of men developed graphic attitudes about women and their place in the world. In a lot of masculine gatherings, women were asked to leave the room. There were things going on in my basement when I was just a little boy, and nobody was allowed but men, and my twin and I snuck down on the steps trying to see what was going on, and we were run out with the women. And so things begin to turn into a very aggressive, masculine culture. And before we knew it, a dominant masculine spirit was raising up in America, which was common in third world countries and in the communistic nations. But how we... But now we can't hardly distinguish between who's male and who's female. So round and round it goes, and where it stops, nobody knows. Our text reminds us of the inequalities and the disproportions of life clearly show that we see only the beginning of what's going on. But we don't see the end. All these trends, 
All these attitudes, all these concoctions coming out of human hearts, carnal hearts. But there is a future where the sovereignty, the almighty power and authority of God There is a sovereign God waiting out there in the future and he's watching all that's going on, all this confusion, all this darkness, and he's waiting and he has power and authority to stop it. And he will meet every man and woman and reward them according to their deeds whether they were good or whether they were evil. If you're not saved, you listen. No one. No one, nowhere, anywhere in this world is going to escape the sovereign power of God. If you're going to get right, you got to do it now. So the roles for men and women were clear 60 years ago. He goes to work, she cleans the house. She has babies, he buys the food. The man buys the home and the woman kept it clean. The man bought the food and the woman cooked it and served it. They love one another. Do you know why? Because they respected their God-given roles. They stayed inside the boundaries of God's roles for them. God's got a role for women. He's got a role for men. Amen? And they love one another for that. He worked hard and she cleaned his clothes and fixed nice dinner. There was a mutual respect for one another. Their love was based on their roles. He worked hard all day, paid the bills, and she took care of the kids and ran the house while she was wor- he was working. But then something happened. World War II. Everything flipped. The men went to war And the women went into the factories to build weaponry. The roles shifted. And we're still feeling the impact of it today. And after the war was finished in 1945, the men came home and there was no one at home. Their wives were in the factories. Now the wheels really start to fall off. And now a man doesn't even know how to be a man. When a man meets a woman today, oh, he's in trouble. Why? She owns her own house. She already uh, owns the house. She's got a, a new car. She's got money in the bank. She's got food in the fridge. She's got it together. She's living the dream. 
And then the woman says, I want you to be my man. And he says, okay. So how do I be that, she says. She says, take care of me. He says, okay. I will buy you a house. She says, I got that. I will buy you a car. I got that. I will buy you all that you want. She says, I have all that. I will give you money. I got that. I will buy food. I got that. The only thing the man's got left is his frustration and his strength. So the result, unfortunately, became domestic abuse. That's the one thing a man can do and say, I can give you that. So many women are physically abused and assaulted today. He physically abuses you. That's why domestic violence is so bad. And so today, many men, our men today are being feminized. Our women today are being masculized. The roles are changing and darkness is coming in and heartaches are coming in and the, and the, and the nu- nu- um, uh, nuclear family is blowing up and things are getting worse. You know, you can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says a woman tells a woman to cook. But it tells a man to cook. That's the only thing I got going for me right now. I know how to cook. So women, if you're looking for a good man, your first question ought to be, do you cook? So men are frustrated and don't know what to do. Manhood, they don't even know what manhood means today. That's why you see men men, uh, adorning women's clothes, women's makeup, women's jewelry. And that's why you say women going in the other direction. They used to respect one another because they had their roles. But now their roles are gone and both male and female are being disassembled by rogue authorities and bullies are breaking out everywhere in America. 45, 50 years ago, the man brought home the bacon. Today, the woman owns the pig. The factories. Today, the women own the factories. Today, the women are the CEOs. 
And men are losing their masculinity. It's not a good picture for a Sunday morning. Now, let's look quickly at Hannah, this amazing quality that God wants to give to motherhood in all women, both single and married. That will cause them to survive and rise above all the earthly, sensual, and devilish wisdom of this world where envy and strife and every evil work is trying to destroy everybody's soul out there. The first thing that Hannah had to overcome, I even feel bad mentioning this, was domestic trouble. Our homes today are no longer happy homes. They're no longer the most happy place in the world to be. Our homes have been invaded, infiltrated. The roles are being switched. And the kids don't even know what's going on. The collapse of our American homes, our happy homes, and our only safe place in America are no longer safe. Let me say that godly mothers have their struggles. They have their trials. They have their faults. But they know how to overcome all the evil and the snares of the God of this world. And the struggles of saints need to be mentioned more. Our struggles, our faults, our failures need to be mentioned more because too many think that Christians are these people who have no problems and they walk around with their head in the clouds and their halos, they glow at night. They never make mistakes. They never do anything wrong. They always seem to have it all together. And frankly, that image of Christianity gives the devil fuel to make Christianity look impossible. And many never get past that image. And they turn their backs on God saying, I can't live that way. Because we walk around like we walk on water. And it needs to be said more. You can be a Christian, but you're going to have your problems. You're going to have your failures. You're going to have your faults. And don't the other side look at those faults and try to say, well, you're no good. You're not holy. Keep your mouth shut, children, because you don't even know what's going on yet. Some of you don't even know what's going on at 30. How many believe I'm really trying to help people this morning? Do you really believe it? Well, once in a while, let me know that you believe it. I'm not asking for noise. But I could preach this message in other churches and they'd be running the aisles. They'd be waving hankies. Not that I have to have that to be a preacher. Because I know you people. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We need those kinds of messages, do we not? 
I'm closing. Verse 2 says, Elkanah, her husband, had two wives. Polygamy was never God's idea. Hannah has, Hannah, his first wife, she could not bear children. But when they got ready to go to church, Elkanah gave Panina the pinhead, her and all her children gave them all gifts. And can you imagine being a woman that don't have a child? And you want a child more than anything in the world? And Panina is dogging you and provoking you and just attacking you in your own home. You're being attacked. Your domestic little heaven is turning into a hell. And she had to keep her mouth shut. And she never charged her husband. She never retaliated with Panina. She never did anything, but she went to God. And that's where we need to go. Because nobody else in this world can help us except God. Amen? The real strength of a nation, don't let nobody tell you any different, lies in its domestic life. Why do you think the devil broke up the very first family, the Adams family? Because he knew a family that had it together and loved God could change the direction of a world. He knew who to attack first. It was your home, your home, your home, our home. And keep in mind, this was still in the time of the judges where there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Just like they're doing today. And the Satan could see that. There's a lot of sparks flying in verse 2. For a woman to be barren and unable to have children and looked upon by those in that day as a curse and affliction from God. In verse 11, Hannah calls her infertility an affliction. And you know what the Jewish rabbis, the leaders back then, not God, but the leaders, carnal men, they said there are people who will be excommunicated from God. There were seven of them. I'll give you two. A Jew who has no wife, excommunicated. And the second was a Jew who has a wife, but no children. Throw her out of church. And then they came up with another stupid idea. After 10 years, if your wife can't bear children, divorce her. That's what happened here with Elkanah. He went and found him a panina.
all you young people that are dating, make sure the first qualification is of that man. He's got to know how to cook and he's got to love God. Amen? Amen. So her first battle is she can't have children and her rival, her enemy, her accuser, all the reproach is coming from the other wife. And whenever they went to Shiloh where the temple was to worship God, Elkanah, he gave all tons of portions to Penina and all her kids, but he gave Hannah a double portion. It wasn't enough. All it was doing was adding insult to injury. It was hard for Hannah to be with the family. How many family members no longer can go together on various places and vacation and go out and get ice cream? And families today don't want to go with the rest of the family. They don't even like you. That's where we are. And that's why we need godly mothers. And whenever they went to Shiloh, where the temple was to worship God, all of a sudden Penina began to rail on her. Can you imagine the stress and the struggles that this woman had? Look at verse 6 and 7. Penina provoked Hannah unmercifully because the Lord had shut her womb so much that she wept and she couldn't eat. Thank God for godly mothers who won't bend or bow to carnal retaliation. Hannah kept her integrity, kept her spirituality, and knew that her only strength was not in her husband, but it was in God. And what about godly mothers whose children are rebellious, disrespectful, reckless, and rude to their mothers and know how to break their mothers' hearts and worry them sick and crush their hopes of ever being saved? Only if children knew and could see themselves as God sees them. Not as all their friends see them, not as the world sees them, not as the media see them. Another amazing quality of godly mothers is they have godly convictions and they know how to keep the main thing the main thing. They know how to keep what's priority. And what's priority when you're going through a storm, like the sister Madison's saying, When you're going through trouble, priority is getting yourself under the gospel. Get yourself among people who really love you. Who sacrifice for you. Who pray for you. 
Another amazing quality of godly mothers is they have godly convictions. And they know how to keep God first. Look at her first priority. She knew how to keep first in her life. God. Look at verse 10. While she's in bitterness of soul and heavy weeping, she prayed unto the Lord. And being without children, listen to what this woman said. She wanted a kid more than anything else in the world. And she said her sorrow and her grief was intensified by the assaults of her rival, Penina, who was relentless in her insults and the pain of being attacked in the privacy of her own home made domestic suffering the worst. The pain of being attacked was the climax of domestic suffering when attacks come out of your own family. Oh, the pain. Sons and daughters, spouses, family members, siblings, be very, very careful to avoid domestic assaults. You have no idea how much pain you are inflicting upon the very ones that love you. And every time that you don't get saved and every time that you can't come to church and every time that you act like you don't want nothing to do with God, your mother's heart keeps breaking. And you need to wake up to it. Yeah, I'm preaching like it's my last message. Because it's too late to play church. It's too late for little sermonettes, for Christianettes who smoke cigarettes. Look at Hannah's defense. Her priority was to please first God and invoke his presence. And what did she do? She prayed. Let me tell you something. Hannah had religious sensibilities. They were awakened. She knew the culture was falling apart. Every man was doing that which is in, in his own eyes, right in his own eyes. What, what, what contribution could Hannah have made to address the most serious situation of a nation? She prayed, God, if you give me a son, a male, if you give me a son, a prophet, if you give me a Samuel, She said, I'll take this baby that I want more than anything in the world and I'll give him back to you on the altar. She didn't hold back anything. And you can't even get to church. But you can go every place else. Can't get to prayer meeting. But you can go everything, every place. Listen. Listen. I'm preaching like it's my last hurrah. Because there's people that think they're saved and they are not. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. Keep the Sabbath day holy. It's too late. 
It's too late to try to appease our churches. Preach smooth things. Tell people how good they are. They're getting away with murder. But the real murderer and the real fury and the real wrath of God is just out ahead of us. Justin, you can come. Let's sing a song. We'll go home. And you notice in the prayer, she refers to her infertility as my affliction. And you know what this woman did? A godly mother makes natural desires for an earthly good. She didn't ask. She didn't ask to have things or to have a child. She, she already purposed in her heart to give that child back to God. She wanted more than anything in the world. God's will. God's glory. And God's honor to be first. And her religious sensibilities were awakened and she knew that her nation needed somebody. Somebody had to rise. Somebody had to step up. And in 1 Samuel 20, 21, the Lord blesses her. She said, if you just give me a man child, I'll give it back to you. And she gave the man child back to God, never to see the, well, never to, to have the child in her home again. And God opened her womb and she had five children more, three sons and two daughters. You can't outgive God. You'll never be shortchanged trusting God. Start living like you really love him. Start living like you want to go to heaven. Start living so the world can see that you really are a child of God. And the world will look at you and say, they have been with Jesus. You don't have time for all the world. You don't miss nothing going on in the world. But the world can't save you. All it can do is deceive you. Luke 7, look what Jesus said. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. And let me tell you one other thing. When she went into the house of God, she was so brokenhearted. She, she, she wept. She couldn't eat. And there she is at the altar. And she's begging God. And the priest, her pastor, is sitting at the gate of the post. And he's looking at her. And he starts railing on her and starts pouring judgment out on her and don't know her heart. 
And he calls her a daughter of Belial, a no good drunken whore. How many of you would still stay in this church if I approached you and misunderstood something about you? Half of us would get up and walk out because our spirituality is no longer the depth it needs to be. Amen. That's why pastoring so hard today. You can't say anything to all these cupcakes, all these flowers. You can't, you can't rebuke them. You can't chastise them. You, you, you can't give them constructive, constructive criticism anymore. Why? Because they're closer to the world than they are to God. And you don't have it anymore. You can't take a punch anymore. And I'm coming down to the end of my reign. But I want to make sure I get it told before I leave. He is helping me, thank God. I agonized over this message. Do you know how serious it is? Don't think you're going to go to heaven when you don't have time for God. You're not going to go to heaven. You're going to be like the millions and millions and millions of other believers who have the labels and who have the seniority and who have the positions, but they don't have God. You better start doing what God wants you to do. There's callings that God has for this church. You better start doing what God wants you to do. And stop running, Jonah. I've unburdened my heart. I feel as light as a feather right now. The only thing that pains me a little bit, I sense some of you maybe didn't want to hear this this morning. Don't blame me. Blame God. When you said things about all the gay, don't blame me. Just read Romans, the first chapter. You notice Romans, the first chapter is never read when the subject of all that nonsense comes up in the news? They don't don't bring up Romans 1. Go ahead and read Romans, the first chapter. It's sizzling with truth. Hard line truth. You better stop playing. Amen? Amen? I give it all I had today I'm through happy Mother's Day I I don't want to I don't want to spoil your meal I just want to tell you the truth and if you got any sense at all you know the reason why I'm preaching this way is because I really do love you You're my baby. All right? 
And when this congregation changes, I want you to still be faithful. I'm not advertising my exodus, but I know that I'm getting up there. I've pastored longer than both Emerson and Ellen Wilson. I can't even believe that. Still going strong. So thanks for listening. Would you like to stand, please? We'll sing a song and let you go.